Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Rick Smith, who's the co-founder and managing director of CrossCut, one of the top venture capital firms in Los Angeles. And CrossCut's a seed stage venture capital firm looking to invest $1 to $3 million in early stage companies with hyper growth potential. In this episode, we discuss how the global pandemic has impacted CrossCut Ventures, how many meetings a entrepreneur ends up having with CrossCut before they get a term sheet, what that process kind of looks like for each meeting as well. We go through how Rick and his team are seeing 5,000 or so business plans per year, doing 500 meetings, making 10 investments, and how that process goes and why they're looking for a chief of staff now at CrossCut, really to help them build the, the firm of the future. We also talk about Pledge LA and diversity inclusion initiatives in venture capital, Rick's advice for hiring for startups and thoughts around equity splits, deal flow at CrossCut, Rick's first exit at CrossCut, and so much more in this episode. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate that as well. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies. And their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Rick Smith, co-founder and managing director at CrossCut. Rick, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Uh, good, Good to be chatting. Yeah, great to talk with you again. It's been a little while. Uh, there's so much to go through. I always like to start with context on the company. So with CrossCut, what areas are you kind of focused on now? Yeah, so uh, you know, CrossCut, based in Los Angeles, early stage uh, venture fund, seed stage. Uh, a typical deal for us is going to be a 2 to $4 million uh, seed deal of a company, uh, potentially with some some traction of some kind, uh, but not necessarily. Uh, the the, the the categories in which we're investing these days are are pretty broad and sort of match I think what you find generally in in venture capital uh, in tech investing but we're doing a lot in enterprise SaaS software as a service um, we're still doing some consumer investing we are doing a fair amount of fintech uh, insurance tech um, and and to be honest I, I I like to say we really will go where great entrepreneurs. Pull us. And, you know, our number one goal is to find great entrepreneurs going after big problems and solving them in ways that can generate some, some outsized returns for our investors. And that really hasn't changed in the uh, 12 years we've been doing CrossCut. Yeah. And now with, with COVID, I'm curious as to how that's affected CrossCut, your deal flow, any of that. I'd be curious to see like your opinion on how that's impacted you guys and how you kind of operate on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I, I, 
uh, you know, it's been, it's been a, a, a big change on, on one hand and, and, and things sort of new normal on the other hand. So if you talk to most VCs at, in, in January of this year, they would have said, look, the most important thing we do at the early stage is back entrepreneurs. Uh, we need to know who the entrepreneurs are. And the only way we can get to know entrepreneurs is by meeting them in person. I would have said that same thing. If you, if you replay my last five podcasts, I probably would have said exactly that. Yeah. It turns out I was wrong. It turns out you can get to know people over uh, the internet. Uh, I don't know as well as you can get to know them in person, but you know what, what the difference that we have seen is that instead of having sort of one or two big meetings where you're kind of organizing everybody and, and okay, we got you know six people from Crosscut come in. You bring your three people in. Oh wait, we got to move that because you're going to be in Seattle. Okay, we got instead of that, we can have a series of Zoom calls and 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 Google Hangouts, and we can be we can get to know them, the entrepreneurs, in some ways, yeah, better than we could before because we're just having more conversations. We don't need the infrastructure around that. We don't need to make sure you can get to the office at a certain time. Um, and so in some ways I would say we're, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, we're still, we still have to know the entrepreneurs, but the, the, the nature of the beast these days has changed where I think we're getting to know them as well or better than we did before. And I would not have ever guessed that was going to be the case. And on that note, Rick, you mentioned kind of having, you know, more frequent potentially, I mean, how many meetings, I mean, it's not going to be a one size fits all thing, but I mean, how many meetings are you having with founders before an actual check or even just a term sheet is, is brought to them? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the old days, that, that answer may have been as little as four or five, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and meeting one or two in-person meetings and then, you know, uh, some follow-up phone calls, but a lot of it was email and stuff. You know, today it may be five to eight you know, yeah. we're, we're just setting up Zoom calls with different people in the office and, hey, let's let's talk about this particular issue. And it's sort of uh, it's 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 a deeper it, it can be a deeper dive just virtually rather than than in person. And and with that as well, Rick, I mean, take me through, as I'm, you know, thinking of the founders who are listening, uh, what, you know, a first meeting may look like versus, you know, two, three, four, like how, how's that progression or what are you trying to figure out within that uh, for founders who may, you know, may get a first meeting with Crosca, but I, what does that kind of process uh, typically look like then? Yeah. So, so I, I, I think the, the, the normal cadence and, you know, on, on very few deals are actually normal, but, but yeah. I think this, the sweet spot is. You somehow have gotten in to, to meet a VC. In this case, it's Crosscut. And you know, we see four or 5,000 business plans a year. We meet with 400 companies a year. So it's not easy, you know, just from a time standpoint, to just to, to you know, see all the companies we want to see. So if you get a meeting with, with a VC, that's, that's step one, and that's, that's success. I would say that first meeting is now a half-hour introductory video call in which you're just trying to convey some sense of the passion you have for the business um, and the opportunity that's before you. Uh, and it's probably a one-on-one -on -one call with someone here at Crosscut and, and the entrepreneur. It's, it's, you know, it tends not to be a group call. From that introductory call, virtual meeting, um, then we will spend time, you know, talking about 
um, the company and figuring out, okay, who, you know, who may be best to kind of co-pilot this, this deal with us. We generally like to have two professionals on, on every deal, uh, but we bring everyone in as far as diligence goes and, and thoughts and views and, and concerns. Um, and then we, you know, then it's going to be a series of, okay, I want you to meet with this, this person, maybe just with them individually, or maybe with me listening in, you know, this person at Crosscut. Um, and then, you know, after two or three of those potential meetings, and it's like, you know what, I think you've advanced to, to the point where you really want to get the entire group thinking about this and, and giving the nod yes or shake the head no. And so let's schedule a, a group meeting. And, and that will be with the entire group uh, of Crosscut on a Monday or Thursday. And, you know, we go, we, we take it from there. And then it's follow up with questions and diligence and, and concerns and everything else. So that's a typical process, I guess, for us. And that can be anywhere from two to four weeks, I guess, you know, overall. Yeah. And you mentioned the four to 5,000 companies you hear of at least a year and, you know, seeing maybe four to 500 then. How many investments are you roughly making in a year then? 10. 10. Okay. So all that for, for the 10 solid companies you're, you're hoping for, which is uh, the world of venture capital. And, and I know uh, the team, you mentioned a little bit about that as well. I, you know, at one point you were looking for chief of staff. I'm curious if if you found a chief of staff, just for people who are interested in getting involved. Yeah, well, uh, we, we are interviewing now. It's uh, We're down um, to uh, 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 the finalists at this point. We have an unbelievable um, set of people that, that we're talking to. And uh, I will tell you this, uh, I'm a big fan of Los Angeles. I'm a big fan of venture capital here. The, the, the quality of the people that want to get to Los Angeles and work in the venture community is is outstanding based on a lot of things we've seen in the last few years, but based on this um, <laughs> search in particular, uh, I'm 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 really uh, excited for what it, it can mean to Crosscut, but I'm more excited what it can mean for LA long term because a lot of these people we're gonna we're gonna have to say no to, but I would love to get them involved uh, with other firms in town or or other companies in town. It's just a it, it, all eyes are on LA venture right now. And uh, I think that's obviously a good thing for, for LA. Yeah, it's exciting. And there's, there's definitely a lot of opportunities in that world to get involved with as well. And, and on the note of the team uh, at Crosscut, I mean, a lot of venture funds either run pretty lean in terms of the number of people uh, at the fund and everything. Like, how did you decide that you wanted to have that chief of staff? It's only relatively recently. Uh, I know you have a relatively small team. How'd you decide on that side of things? I know startups are always thinking about hiring, but VCs want to hire too. How'd you get to that point then, Rick? Yeah, I think we, we looked at how, how can we make ourselves better? We, we've had a very good run at Crosscut over the last 12 years, but are the things we're doing in the last 12 years, the things that are going to keep us, um, on top of our game for the next next 12 years. And one of the things that we decided was, look, we, there's a lot of stuff that we do as a venture firm, right? We, we are a company, right? We are a company. We sort of think about ourselves as investors, but we're a company. And a lot yeah. of the things we do as a company um, can probably best be done by someone whose focus is that, whether it's the, you know, the, the some of the platform initiatives we have going on, whether it's the, uh, you know, events that we, through back in the day and we'll, throw it in. <laughs> we'll be virtual in the meantime, you know, whether it's marketing, um, whether it's just, you know, some operations, a lot of that stuff is, uh, you know, I, every second and minute that I spend doing that is a second or minute that I'm not spending looking for the next great 
entrepreneur to back. And yeah. so we made the decision, let, let's, let's, you know, uh, bring someone in who can consolidate a lot of that. Um, not investing, it's everything else. And by the way, that's a big deal. The, yeah. other, the big driver for me though, Justin, is we're in a service business. I don't care what people say. We, yeah, we're investors. We're in the service business. We are servicing our investors and we're servicing our CEOs. Yeah. And, and so how can we do that better? And I think we all do that at Crosscut individually. That's great. We do it. We try to do it as a firm. That's great. But this person is going to be worrying at night. How can we be even more of service to our, to our companies? And how do we, you know, that may be talent, which is generally the number one you know, issue our companies have. It could be fundraising. It could be a lot of things. Um, but we want someone who is worrying at night, how can we do our, our job better um, in, in relation to our, um, our connection and our help to our, to our companies? Yeah. And you see uh, a lot of venture firms. I mean, the, there's, there's a mix of them, but some are, you look at the Andreessen, maybe even like M13 and how much they've invested in the platform side to your point of like the next 12 years for Crosscut. It's like, yeah, what is that? What does that look like? How do you really serve these entrepreneurs who uh, you've invested in to help them as much as possible? And uh, obviously, there's a mix between how much help an entrepreneur wants uh, versus uh, how much they, they get, of, of course, all the time. But uh, to have more of that capability on staff seems like just such a, a value add. I like what you mentioned as well with just being um, focused in terms of what your strengths are as a VC. Like You need to find deals. You need to find these investments. And I think founders out there can take that to heart as well with their, like, what do they need to be focused on in their business? Because that's kind of the name of the game, because there's always going to be an infinite amount of things you could be doing. But to survive, it's like, what are the things you should be doing to help your company uh, the most? So I really appreciate you mentioning that. And and one thing that uh, I know you had uh, at least on LinkedIn posted about a bit ago was Pledge LA and being involved with, with them on their uh, summer lab fund. How did that come about, Rick? Yeah, so um, we, well, Pledge LA, uh, I guess the genesis of it was probably three years ago now. Um, when uh, the Annenberg Foundation approached me and said, um, you know, we, we want to find a way to, to get um, this next generation of successful entrepreneurs thinking about how to give back to the community uh, like the entrepreneurs of the prior generation did, Eli Broad being the number one example and, and um, a guy I worked with uh, at Sun America you know, Eli has the Broad Museum downtown and uh, the Broad stage in Santa Monica and, and it has given hundreds of millions of dollars back, back to charity. Uh, how do you, you know, how do we get entrepreneurs to give, to give back? That was, a, that was the original sort of uh, genesis of it. And then we brainstormed on it a little bit and, and said, you know, what we really need, uh, you know, we really need some help in, in the startup world, uh, both firms and, and companies of, of tackling this problem of, of you know, lack of access to capital by um, you know, a large swath of folks out there, um, um, lack of representation in companies. Um, and that's sort of evolved into, into Pledge LA, um, which is uh, I've been you know, proudly involved with now uh, from the start. And um, you know, we, we do a lot of things for, we, we uh, were fortunate the last two summers to hire interns um, that we sourced through them from underrepresented minorities and 
And, you know, there's just a lot of initiatives that we're doing. We're actually doing a, a, a total remake at, um, at, at Pledge LA to, um, you know, kind of how do we better serve, you know, the goal of, of improving um, the, the tech community and, and increasing diversity and inclusion um, yeah. throughout. So we're, we're kind of, you know, how to, how to, because we've got a lot of resources. The Annenberg Foundation doesn't do anything lightly. And you know, <laughs> we've got resources, we've got a lot of people, we've got a lot of companies involved. And, but one of the initiatives is, you know, get, giving back um, as, as in, 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 on the investing side. So there's a couple of things that CrossCut was involved with. Um, one is, is, uh, is a fund that, that, uh, we're doing through Pledge LA that is going to invest in South LA, um, which is great and is going to be you know we're we're putting the final touches on that and 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 uh, encourage people to sort of follow that if you have a company in South LA, um, we're going to uh, I, I think uh, be able to affect some real change there by directly investing dollars. We also did something this summer. Um, with uh, some of our sponsors who had given us some money to have events, um, including Cooley, who said um, uh, in First Republic saying, hey, let's, uh, we're not gonna have events, but we'd like to give grants to some uh, underrepresented minority companies. Um, and so, we, and so we, did, we did that as well. So we're, you know, I, I, what, I, what I really wanna try to find uh, th- those are those are those are helpful. Pledge LA is helpful, um, but I, I still, you know, we're we're eager to find ways to 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 leverage, you know, those things in even bigger ways. And you know, we got a long way to go as a as a industry, uh, and finding leverage points and ways to accelerate it and and have the industry. By the way, we're not we're just trying to have it reflect the diversity of LA. We're not, you know. <laughs> It, it doesn't have to be a lofty, lo- loftier goal than that of just to have it look more like what we see in LA. One of the things that attracts me to Los Angeles, and I think a lot of people to Los Angeles, is the diversity that we have here. I mean, it is, and you take it for granted until you go somewhere else and you're like, wow, you know, we, we really are lucky <laughs> yeah. from what we have in LA. So, um, you know, the, it's it's the first inning of all this stuff. There's, I'm sure there's better ways and to do it. And we got a lot of smart people sitting around um, the table trying to figure that out. And we're certainly open to hearing from anyone out there who's got, you know, uh, uh, suggestions of, you know, how do we, how do we continue to improve um, access to capital um, for those who have historically not, not had it. Yeah. And it's such an important, obviously, issue. And with Pledge LA doing some great things there, are there any other organizations you know of or uh, any other initiatives uh, in particular you want to shout out on that note or and even just that crosscut of thinking of how we can, you know, give more people access to capital from diverse backgrounds? I'd be curious to hear anything you have. Uh, well, you know, there's, um, there, there are some funds being formed out there to do that. I think that's great. Um, I think what uh, you know, Upfront has has championed um, with their kind of uh, you know making sure their their their, their companies have representation. I think their uh, Upfront's taking the lead on some of the stuff at, at company level. I think all that is all that's helpful, um, and it's it's uh, all all won't be successful in, in some ways, and will, some will be more successful than others. I, I think we, we just need to take the attitude of 
you know what, we got to, we know we have the problem. Now we got to figure out the solution. Not unlike our companies that are trying to solve this problem. Let's figure out how to solve this problem. You know, all raise, I think is doing a great job. Um, so there's, there's smart people trying to figure this out. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to know going back to founders and you mentioned one thing with the hiring being the most difficult thing, really even potentially besides raising capital on the hiring note. I mean, what are some things you tell founders you're working with at Crosscut about hiring and how to hire resources around that? Uh, I'd be curious to hear that because that's, that is such a challenge. And even the number of founders I've talked to are going through that same thing right now, figuring out hiring or hiring as they're scaling. What have you seen or any advice on that side, Rick? Well, you know, I think in, in general hiring, when a company's small, and starting up in that primordial soup phase of things, it's just the people you hire are really important, and um, it 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 is difficult. Uh, it is uh, largely done, um, you know, in an ad hoc manner in people that that the, the founder may know or the people they know know, and that's you know that that can work you know to an extent, um, and and I think. Uh, we encourage our, our companies earlier, maybe than they always feel like it, to to hire, you know, a recruiting firm um, to help them, you know, do a broader search uh, than that. Uh, we do encourage our companies to, um, you know, keep diversity in mind. I know sometimes uh, uh, it's harder for some, uh, you know, entrepreneurs to kind of with all the things they're juggling, okay, I, you know, I'm just trying to you know, get a good candidate in here. But I think it's like, well, that's great. But, you know, as you think about, I think that the, the choices you make early and how a company looks is set early. And, yeah. and so it's kind of easy to say, you know what, I can I get a pass on the first 10. Uh, and by the way, it's not malicious. It's not anything. It's just like, hey, I'm just trying to, you know, I, I know this, uh, you know, guy I worked with at Stanford, whatever. I'm like, okay. Um, but just be aware that the, the, the path that we set early is going to impact the ability to kind of, you know, I think reflect a broader uh, community longer term. So, I, I, you know, that's a discussion we have. Um, and, you know, giving people resources and, and, you know, like the Anberg Foundation coming up with some of these uh, candidates that I'm telling you would not have been in our, uh, you know, wheelhouse um, because of, you know, the work that they're doing, all those things matter. Um, all, all of that matters. So, you know, I, all that said, hiring is the hardest thing our companies do. I mean, it's just, I, I feel for them. Um, I know it's painful and, um, you know, it's less competitive down here than it is up north, but getting people to come in, stay long-term, uh, you know, not just want to jump after they best after a year, you know, that's been a problem up north for, for several years now. And we haven't seen a lot of that down here, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to put a team together that's going to stay together and uh, that we are here to be supportive to our entrepreneurs trying to do that and offer any advice we can. Are there any particular companies that have done a great job uh, of cross cut companies that have done a great job on the hiring side that you want to shout out or, you know, examples as to you know how they've done it well? Because uh, we, we hear about it. It's definitely so difficult to hire, but any examples of who's doing it well or, or characteristics or anything around that that would be helpful for others kind of going through this as, as it's, it's such a difficult thing to do? Well, I think the companies that do it best uh, do take 
some time and it's got to be an effort. Uh, I can tell you in this, in, and, and we're, we're eating our own dog food here. Um, in the chief of staff hire, um, we are first and foremost looking um, for a broad group of candidates to bring in, a broad group of candidates. And that means that that's not, that's not relying on the same networks that we have in place. And um, the, the, it's got to be a goal. It's got to be, that's got to be a, um, that's got to be one of the parameters. It can't be, you know, the way we, a lot of companies have historically hired is, well, we ran across a good person, we want to hire them. Um, and so I think the companies that do it best are the ones that have that as a goal in mind, um, because then you you automatically start with a broader group of candidates. We, we, we've done that. We also, you know, work with um, consultants who will tell us um, things like, you know, hey, Rick, when you put in, you're looking for a rock star, um, which is, that, that sounds like a normal thing to say, look for rock star. Um, you know, that can have a connotation that may uh, cause some uh, people to say, oh, well, that sounds like you're looking for a, a white male um, or whatever. And, and so it's, you know, bringing in pe- people that can help us see things that we can't see because of, um, you know, uh, hidden biases. That's an important part of it too. All that, Justin, all that works together, right? It, it's yeah. got to be, it's not one thing that you do. It's got to be, you know, continuing um, education and challenging yourself to say, uh, and I mean, we just say this to our companies, you've got to challenge how, you, how you're hiring. You've got to challenge how you think about this stuff. Otherwise, the change ain't going to happen fast enough. Yeah. I, I'd like to, you mentioned you had a consultant to help on that. So how did you find that? What was the, the role of them in helping you with this kind of process of, of hiring? Because language is super important, obviously. Uh, I'm curious about the, the consultant you brought in. Yeah. Well, you know, so we have Nick in here as head of platform and he's yep. got, um, you know, one of his tasks is to make sure that we're um, becoming the firm of the future. And one of the things to become a firm of the future is um, being more uh, hyper aware of how we come off and, and how we present ourselves. And so he was able to find someone who, who could help us. Um, we just finished our, um, you know, online training to become more aware of potential, you know, workplace issues like sexual harassment. Um, and so it's, look, th- this is not, it, it, this is available today, right? And there, there are people out there who can do this. There are people, uh, there are online, um, you know, classes to, to take. And um, it is uh, an important part of, of who we are and who we want to be. Uh, going forward and how and how we think about ourselves and so i'll give nick uh, nick kim here uh, my colleague a lot of credit for um you know he came out of warby parker had a product there and um has brought a lot of best practices to to crosscut and uh, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier look we may not be thought of as an operating company but we're a company right we're we are yeah. we have a mission and vision and we have goals and we have hiring needs and you know that kind of looks like a company and even though we spent a lot of our time thinking about it as an investing firm, um, we are uh, the tip of the spear for venture capital in, in LA. And, and um, I'll give uh, you know, Nick a lot of credit for having us think of ourselves that way, not just as some sort of monolithic uh, block of investing capital that we're, that we're putting out every year. 
Yeah, and there's a there's a bit of accountability and, and pressure on being you know one of the leading venture capital firms in Los Angeles and having done this since 2008. I mean that people are definitely looking to cross cut, looking to other firms that have been around a while and doing things, and you know people model that uh, as well. And uh, so I think it's in, important that you've done that, and I, I love hearing that. And then the kind of initiatives you're involved with as well is 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 big and. On the helping founder side, just to go a little bit deeper with different things, uh, on the the side of like early on founders, obviously investing in the seed stage, anything around equity splits, uh, just anything around the equity side with the founders themselves that you would mention to them as founders are kind of going through this side of things? Well, there's probably a lot to unpeel, unpack there and, and, and peel back there, but I, I think the um, I, I, we generally, I, I generally like to see. Uh, you know, founders have equal stake uh, or near equal stake. I think one of the things to be aware of, if you have a radically different uh, stake from your from your co-founders, it will be um, scrutinized differently. Um, it's not the end of the world for us, but um, it will, you know, make us look at, well, maybe there's really one founder and then, you know, kind of a recent hire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, co- and, and maybe there's, it doesn't seem like that big a difference to outsiders, but I think, you know, to, it's so hard to be at a startup. It's so hard to, uh, uh, you know, be told no so many times by, by, by VCs. And it's, you're trying to get your first customer or your first partner, uh, uh, you know, company in there. You're trying to get uh, people to come work for you for less money. They can work at a more stable company. Uh, you're trying to get your spouse or significant other to give you a break when you're making a lot less than you could be somewhere else. All that's really, you know, difficult to do. Um, and, it, and it takes the founder passion and, 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 and mojo to kind of make that happen. And so having multiple uh, people uh, with founder, uh, you know, angst in, in, the, in the group is, is nice to see for us. We will back one founder companies, but it's, it's uh, you know, most of our, our companies are founded by two or more people. And I think the more parity there is uh, among the group, the better. On the other side of that, though, I will say, Justin, the, the uh, uh, having, you know, clear roles among the founders is key. Yeah. I don't like having people come in and saying we're both CEOs or, you know, we're both. It's like, no, I, you know, I think <laughs> to build this company. OK, someone's got to be CEO. Someone's got to be maybe VP of sales. Someone's got to be whatever. Uh, maybe business development. Um, I think setting a company up right early on is important for the for the long term uh, potential success for the company. And so early on, you know, the, the the equity splits, the roles, all that stuff is is important. We pay attention to that. We certainly help our companies uh, with the experience we've had. At least show them and, and let them know what we think is has been successful in the past. And we certainly let them make the decisions on that, but uh, we will lend our, our two cents in. We are also always worried about the next round of financing and, and say, look, you, you know, you can do it this way if you want, but I think the next round of financing will look at it differently and may uh, have a chilling effect on our ability to, to raise more capital. Yeah. And on that note of raising more capital, I mean, how, how are you looking at it? deal flow, uh, sourcing deals, and even like, you know, getting other venture capital firms on deals. How does that go uh, cross cut? Yeah. So our, our strong preference is to, is to co-invest with other like-minded investors. So uh, we, we, we like having uh, 
you know, someone from Bonfire worrying about the company alongside us at night. Uh, we like to have the, the, the network there, the, the experience there, uh, or, you know, any other firm. Uh, yeah. But uh, we, we tend to not like to go solo. And I will say a more subtle point, too, is if you have one investor, even though you may have uh, Mr. or Ms. Founder have, you know, 80% of the company and they have 20%, it still kind of feels like you're working for that one investor. Yeah. And if you have two investors, they can offset each other. And if one investor is going off the rails a little bit about something, the other investor can act as a, as a buffer there and, 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 and maybe, a, you know, bring them back to earth a little bit uh, easier than you can as a, as a CEO, you know, cause you have this kind of, you know, tenuous relationship where you're, serving at the pleasure and direction of the board, uh, which is may or may not be controlled by the investor or influenced by the investor. So you're trying to, you know, maintain some relationship there. It's easier and I think better to have at least two investors around the table in, in most of the companies in, in which we're investing, at least at the seed stage. Pre-seed may be different, but, you know, seed yeah. stage even later. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important thing. A lot number of, of VCs do that. I mean, they do co-invest and have those relationships with other other firms as well as they're investing in these different companies. And one of the things too, I know you mentioned multi you know, multiple founders typically, not typically one founder investing in. What about first time founders versus like, you know, repeat founders on that side of the investing for you? I always go back and forth on that. So I, I think on the one hand, it's several of our crosscut investments have been, and we've made over a hundred investments now at Crosscut over the last 12 years. Several of our investments have been in serial founders that we've backed before. So not even just, uh, you know, it's their, their, their second go around or third go around, but it's people that we've backed. So um, it's always nice to know the founders well and know what they're excited about and, and know how you know, we can be most helpful to them because they're all going to be you know, different personalities and different, and different sort of tendencies. So I think that's nice. Um, and, you know, it's easier, I, I'm thinking about one of our companies, you know, Nine Count, Alex Hoffman drove musically to a billion dollar exit and he comes up <laughs> and says, hey, this is what I want to do next. And it's, it, it, you know, there's a high comfort level that we have there. We just, we just backed um, Spencer Raskoff in his latest investment and, and, and company and it, the founder of Zillow. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's, those are nice and great for us and we know them and and uh we'll do those all day long but i you know first time founders i'm fine i I am fine i like the i'm just trying to find someone who's passionate enthusiastic driven uh and going tackling big space and if it's first time it's first time we want to see people that we think are are you know coachable or at least listening 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 to coaching um, but you know, for the most part, we're not, we're not micromanaging, um, these companies. We are picking the right entrepreneurs and backing them. Um, I love it when the entrepreneur calls me up and says, Rick, I'm thinking about X, Y, Z. What do you think? I'll give him my opinion and then she can, or he can make the decision, um, and then go forward, whether it's what I said or not. I just like the fact that they're taking opinions in, you know, from the board or other investors. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're they're the one that has to live with the decision, and uh, and we back, we back 
whatever, whatever they decide, even if it's something that we don't <laughs> do. But it's nice to have that ability. Jason Nazar uh, is great. Uh, he, he runs comparably now, ran DocStock for us, our very first investment. He's a first-time entrepreneur. He came out of Pepperdine. He was a hypnotist and whatever. <laughs> but we just like to passion and drive around uh, documents uh, back in 2008. It was the very first investment we made in our very first fund. Um, and then we backed them in, in comparably, uh, but, uh, so, you know, I guess there's an example of great first time investor and, and great repeat investor. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome to see. One of the things just to shift gears to a little bit more on the investing side as well. Uh, I'm just curious as to gonna take it back a little bit, your first exit as an investor at Crosscut, take me through that. Uh, the first exit, well, one of the first was doc stock. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it was probably Shoe Dazzle, uh, the, very, the first one to, to return significant capital. Um, we had invested in, so it, it goes back to your prior uh, discussion here, but uh, Brian Lee is you know, one of the most prolific uh, uh, entrepreneurs in town. He's yeah. started multiple multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar companies. Um, and he came along to us with the idea to, to sell women's shoes on a monthly basis. I still remember telling that to a group of VCs I was talking to, we're gonna make the investment. We had room and everyone stared at me. I don't know if they laughed. <laughs> they were laughing under their breath, but they stared at me. Um, but that, you know, that's an investment we made solely on, on the strength of, of the entrepreneur. Uh, we gotta love the entrepreneur, we gotta like the opportunity. I like the opportunity and I like the story behind it. Um, but um, we were uh, able uh, to sell our stake in that at very nice multiple for our investors. Uh, the company ended up at, at another one of our investments, Fabletics. Um, but, uh, you know, that was one that we had a pretty quick turnaround on. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, you think about the, the people that put money into Crosscut One, it, you know, they took a leap of faith on us the same way we take a leap of faith on our entrepreneurs. They, they backed us for the same reason we back our entrepreneurs, grit and hustle and desire to create something new and big. And, and that's how CrossCut started in August of 2008. Um, the, 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 every time the bell rings, that means that we got another uh, another great entrepreneur uh, somewhere out there. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry for that. Um, well, I, I, you know, we had, we had that backing from some, some great folks and, and friends of mine back in, in Crosscut One. So when you, when you get that first exit, you kind of feel like, and that was a big one for us it, that, uh, okay, uh, we weren't doing this just for an exercise of, uh, intellectual stimulation, you know, we were able to, to return capital to, to them. And, and I will say a couple of my friends who do leverage buyouts that invested in that first fund, uh, they were shocked. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they don't really understand what we do. Uh, our companies are cash flow negative. They don't really understand how why they want to pay money for that. But um, you know, when they got multiples of their dollars back, they uh, they started to see the light that, uh, that you know there's a whole different world of investing out there that's not quite the black box they think it is. It certainly seems that way for them because it's not a as quantitatively driven as as you know buying a company with a, a history of, of EBITDA positive. Um, the financials in front of you, but uh, you know we we still 
are, are relatively systematic. What we do, it's just not a, a strict financial model that, that drives the, the decision-making for us. Yeah. And it can't, can't, can't see that seem like that black box though, right? At times, especially initially back then, I mean, there's been so much more written about VC and talked about in VC since then, but 2008, I mean, that's, that's taking it back just a little bit and people weren't as familiar necessarily with it at that time, I'm sure. And uh, I wanted to hear that just for the context of, of having that experience. And then also, I mean, any advice you'd give to anyone who's either thinking about starting a fund, whether it be a rolling fund or even going the route of an angel investor, just starting to get into investing, anything you would tell people, Rick? It's much harder to do than it seems, I think. And, and by the way, not that it's, I, I, not that this is a hard job in the sense, you know, my dad was a plumber and, and uh, he did repair work uh, in, in central Illinois in 95 degree heat and 95% humidity. That's tough job. So it's not a tough job in that sense, but it's a, I think it, it seems like it's easy from the outside. Um, and the reality is it's a, it's a long slog. Uh, it is a business where the, the feedback comes really slowly. Um, and it's uh, like any other craft, you'll get better at it over time. And, um, and so you're going to make some mistakes early. And, and, you know, crash a lot of aircraft before you learn how to fly these, these crazy things. So I think, uh, it, it, conversely, I think it's the best job in the world. I, I you know, the, 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 to have some of the smartest, most driven, most passionate people walk in our door every day and or walk into our computers and screens every day and say, this is how we want to change the world. And this is where we see the gaps. And it is business 101 to me. It's, it's what's the product? What's the service? How are you going to price it? Who's competition? Um, how are we going to get there? Uh, it, that, that battle and that, um, you know, that challenge is, I, I, just, I just can't imagine better, a better job. So it's a, it's a, you know, the world doesn't need more investors right now in many ways. Uh, there's a lot of capital out there. Uh, but if you're bringing to this the passion and drive uh, and desire to you know, help entrepreneurs, then there's room and, and there's, there's, there's market share that you can get and just have patience and, and have, you know, a long-term view on this and make sure you get investors that have a long-term view because I, I see a lot of high net worth individuals that get into venture for a couple of years and then get out because they're like, wow, it's just, this is a long slog. You know, it's a five to seven year horizon before we would expect to get liquid on any investment we make um, at yeah. our level, right? And, and, and truly could be much longer than that. Yeah. I was just going to say with that though, Rick, I mean, how do you then stay patient? You're just doing what you can, trust your investments and move to the next one? Or how do you kind of mentally go through that as an investor? I think it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing that we do. I mean, I, I think the, uh, you know, we all want, we all want quick feedback. We all want to know we did the right thing. We want to know if we made the right investment and we just won't know for a long time. So I think it's helpful to have now having had, I've done it for 23 years. Yeah. Knowing that, you know, you rely on, you rely on your, your, your technique and your system and your process. And if you're out there hustling to see the best deals coming in the top of the funnel, if you're backing great entrepreneurs, uh, if you're going after big, trying to solve big problems, and you do that 30 times in a portfolio, which is a typical number of deals for us in one portfolio, 
you do that three times in a portfolio and you know most of them are going to fail meaning one two or three x or less maybe um but you'll get one or two winners in there that drive the you know the returns of the fund and um and several more that will that will add to the return so if you rely on that process and you and you do your work and do your diligence it's gonna it's gonna work out over time but it will take time <laughs> Yeah, the patience required uh, is is definitely big on that side of things. So any investor, especially people just getting started, and they see this and they want to get involved, it's like it's going to take a lot of time to even know then if you're good as well. Uh, and you having so much experience, I'm sure we could ask you a thousand other questions, but we don't have any time. So, Rick, where can people go to learn more about uh, Crosscut? Uh, well, we're on we're online. Uh, we can always do a better job of of uh, touting the successes of our of our companies. Um, but crosscut.vc, uh, and uh, you know, we're always looking for new, uh, new innovative companies. We're looking for great founders. Uh, our doors are always open online for that, whatever the uh, equivalent is. Um, and you know, we we just uh, started investing fund five, Crosscut five this week. Ooh, announced that that's uh, that's. Uh, we're making our first investment in Crosscut Five uh, Thursday, I think, and we have two or three more deals lined up there. So we are open uh, and um, eager for you know the next uh, to build the next portfolio over the next two or three years uh, of, of great entrepreneurs and hopefully great companies. Absolutely, Rick. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming to the show today. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week. I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.